Well, good morning. It is uh, 9.03, and you're listening to Public Radio KBBI Homer. I'm Jay Barrett. It is uh, time for the regular Thursday COVID brief. We have a uh, full panel of guests this morning, uh, Peggy Urkineff with the school district, Lauren Carroll with the Alaska Department of Public Health, and Dorotha Ferraro from South Peninsula Hospital. Good morning, everybody. Are you all logged in okay? Hey, Jay. Good morning. Sound great. Good morning. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to find out what music that was playing. We all seem to like it there uh, in the uh, in the uh, text messages before we went on the air here. So we'll find that out for you. Uh, big news in the world of uh, COVID uh, this week. The uh, CDC and the FDA uh, have both put their stamp of approval on uh, uh, shots for kids 5 to 11 years old. Um, pretty exciting news on uh, on social media all this week it, it just uh, uh, parent after parent after parent uh, talking about how relieved they are uh, some of them talking about how they're in tears um, just a lot of joy and relief out there uh, uh, Peggy let's uh, start with you since you've got to go to your other meeting uh, uh, a, a little early uh, how is this news being received in the schools and what are the plans if any. Well, first off, it's great news that everybody who wants to get a vaccine now for their children that are five years and older can. I don't have details yet about vaccination clinics and with our partnership. Nurse Melissa is working on that, and maybe um, DeRosa will have some information for South Peninsula. But we are excited about it, and we'll be sharing all those opportunities with our family. Mm -hmm. Have you heard from uh, any parents uh, after this news broke? How are they feeling? To be honest, I haven't heard anything. I know that the staff and leadership at the school district is really excited about this opportunity and for everybody to get vaccinated that can. There is a little bit of a change coming. Um, it's not going to be announced until later today, but it'll be effective on Monday, and it concerns close contacts in a school setting. So if somebody's identified as a close contact at school, and it could be a staff or a teacher, um, if they're asymptomatic, they'll be allowed to come to school if they wear face covering at all times and conduct active monitoring for symptoms. And then any athletes have to take an antigen test every school day. So more details will be coming about about that either late today or tomorrow. But that's also at the request of the school board to keep more children in school. Uh-huh. And um, can you give us an update on how uh, the situation is in our local schools here on the South Peninsula as far as uh, uh, cases of masking and, you know, all that? Sure. So... Chapman School and the Nilchik School are both operating right now with universal masking for everybody. And Fireweed Academy has been, so that there's no change to there. And we know that there's still COVID in the community. We are seeing, and the data the superintendent shared, is that when there's somebody that's identified as a close contact at a school setting, we aren't seeing as many positive cases subsequently coming from those 
close contacts as we are from self-reported close contacts that are coming from outside of the school setting. The thought process with that is we have a lot of mitigations in place and layers in place at the schools, sanitization, timing, and everything versus outside contacts that might have had a lot longer contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, on Talk of Alaska, APRN's program Talk of Alaska on Tuesday morning, uh, Nathan Erfurth, who is the president of the uh, Kenai Peninsula Education Association, the teachers who represents the teachers, uh, they were talking about uh, teaching and, uh, uh, you know, during during the age of COVID. And one of the things he said, he, he said that the, the shortage of substitutes uh, it can largely be uh, uh, attributed to uh, the lack of universal masking schools. He said there are people who are uh, cautious about that. Could you could you explain how uh, masking works for substitutes? Are they do they fall into the uh, visitor uh, and volunteer uh, category and have to be masked, or how does that work? Actually, I would say that I interpreted that is that they were. Some of our substitutes are older in age, and they're concerned about that there isn't universal masking. That's the way I had heard that in the past, but I could be wrong. And I'm not actually sure how the substitute um, follows the face coverings that are mandatory for visitors. That's a great question, and I, I just don't know the answer, and I can find that out. I do know oh, okay. we've yeah. had a lot of more people stepping up to substitute, which is really helping out. And I want to thank everybody, but we still need substitutes. Yes. Uh, uh, maybe you can just give a pitch there for, uh, all, is it just substitutes? Or are we looking for other uh, employees in the school districts? Uh, how is the employment we, situation? Yeah. We still have several positions open. So anybody can look on our website and check out which positions are open, and you can search by school or by region or type of position. And then there's a simple process for substitutes as well. Okay. KPBSC.org. Excellent. Uh, Anything else you'd like to add here, uh, Peggy, before we let you go? I want to thank everybody. This is hard for our families and our staff and our kids. And the business owners who have parents who work with them, and it's just ongoing, and people are tired. So kindness goes a long ways right now. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, uh, as usual. Uh, Peggy Ergeneff from the School District. By the way, uh, the jazz music you were listening to before we started was uh, The Weasel by uh, Donald Byrd. Yep, well, we lost Peggy. But uh, the song, The Weasel, W-E-A-S-I-L, by Donald Byrd from the album Early Bird, B-Y-R-D. Um, let's see. Well, uh, uh, Dorotha, you sent out a uh, press release earlier this week about the uh, about the shots. Pretty exciting for uh, for for kids and uh, in anticipation of uh, that approval, um, SPH has taken appointments, right? Indeed. You know, it doesn't always align through this whole pandemic. It has not always aligned perfectly. Federal announcements, state availability rolled out to the community. But in this case, it really aligned perfectly in that the um, 
the FDA provided the emergency use authorization, CDC um, approved it and recommends that children 5 to 11 um, receive the pediatric dose of Pfizer. And um, we learned it early enough that we were able to um, shift some of the appointments at this weekend's um, vaccination clinic to include children. So this Saturday, November 6, at the high school, we will be having a vaccine clinic and um, there will be two different um, offerings there. So the first is that we'll be doing the um, adult boosters and the other offering, it, hot off the press then, will also be the pediatric doses for children 5 to 11. So you can make either of those appointments on our website, sphosp.org, and just make sure and scroll because um, when you first get to the website and you get to the vaccine section, the first appointment opportunity you'll come to is the children's doses. And then if you scroll just below that, that's where the booster eligibility lists and um, booster appointment button is. So um, just really, it really worked out that we were able to receive those pediatric doses in time for the event this Saturday. I will um, let parents know though that the um, Saturday event is um, pretty unique in that it's a um, big space. It's a, a pretty much an auditorium, the high school commons, and not everybody has been in that. It's a large room, high ceilings, um, big space. And this is a mass vaccination clinic. So we will have 10 tables um, that will be providing boosters and children's vaccine at any time. So don't picture that you're going into a private exam room and doing one-on-one -on -one with the same person the whole time. This is a mass vaccination event. So for some families and children, that works perfectly. For others, they might want to wait until the um, doses are available in more of a of a more intimate setting. It just depends on what's best for your child and um, what experience or um, um, situations they respond best in. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I don't have kids, but uh, reading online this week, just the, the reactions of parents uh, at the news that this is available and, and some kids are already getting the shots uh, in, in places in the country. And uh, it, the parents are just, uh, so you, you can almost sense the relief just in, you know, their social media post. And it's uh, one of them I recall was uh, uh, my son just got got the shot. He didn't cry, but I did. You know, it's just uh, this is great news, isn't it? This is uh, uh, just awesomeness. <laughs> it, well, so, Jay, one thing that many of us don't realize, some of us that are kind of we've been vaccinated for a long time and we maybe aren't paying attention to the rest of the community like we don't always realize that there are families right here in our community that have you know still have totally modified their daily activities in a very restrictive way to provide to to try to prevent risk and spread of COVID to possibly vulnerable members of their family, to their own child. Um, just they're still kind of where the seniors and older population, adult population was a year ago. And it's really, uh, it's hard sometimes for folks to understand that there's still people doing homeschooling who never intended ever to homeschool because they um, really are nervous about the risk in group settings like that. So yeah, this is really, it's really big for many families in the community.
Wow. Wow. Um, Lauren, Lauren Carroll, what can you tell us about this uh, latest news here? Oh, I guess I'll just echo the consensus here is that's good news. Um, and when kind of thinking about a global context, we've been seeing um, COVID appears to be um, on a downward trend nationally. Like UK, though, it seems unclear if they're going up or down. There's a lot of up and down in regards to daily cases reported. But United States seems to be on a downward trend, and, and that's a great thing. Now, here at home in Alaska, we're down 23% um, from a couple of weeks ago. That's great news. Last week, we were about five times the national average. This week, we're about four times the national average in regards to new cases reported. Uh, so that's great news. <clears throat> and this comes right at a time when a significant proportion of Alaska's population is now eligible for vaccine. Um, so we have the um, opportunity to you know, help that downward trend along um, by increasing access to vaccine for our kiddos. Mm -hmm. um, just one second here. Um, so uh, the, um, do all the schools, or, no, I guess it's not the schools, Never mind. Uh, can I ask you about something that's not directly related to kids' vaccine? Maybe we could, is it time yeah. to, can we jump to that right now? Okay. You can ask me uh, anything you want. <laughs> uh, I, got a, I got a bunch of questions uh, 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 emailed to me uh, in the past week. One is, uh, can Alaskans put their vaccination cards on their phones? And if so, do you know how to do that? Oh, yeah. I think uh, in general, taking a photo of your um, vaccination record is, is a real good idea. Um, and, and that's just past the best option is to keep that card on your person. And the reason why is um, some folks uh, will ask for that for travel purposes or maybe for work. Um, but yeah, in general, um, Alaska folks aren't really in the business of, uh, you know, verifying these records beyond showing a photo. So yeah, taking a photo, that's a great idea. Just uh, oh. aim your phone there and take a snapshot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the other thing is that the, uh, you know, you, you talked about the uh, uh, trending going down. Uh, There's an LA Times uh, article yesterday that said the wait and see portion of uh, those who are unvaccinated uh, is shrinking, that, that the, uh, they have waited and are seeing, uh, have waited and have seen and uh, are now getting uh, vaccinated. Have you seen uh, evidence of that? Oh, yeah. What I have seen is that all of these um, vaccinations uh, in terms of percent fully vaccinated continue to inch up. Um, so, you know, a, a couple examples there. Uh, the nation is at 58 percent fully vaccinated and Alaska is just over half fully vaccinated. Now, that percentage includes a, a population denominator of everyone including those kiddos that are ages 12 and younger. So half of all Alaskans have received and are fully vaccinated for COVID-19. Now moving down further down the road uh, on SKP, about 51.3% of us have been fully vaccinated. And uh, those have been inching forward um, nice and steady, but we expect a little bump here now that the um, Pfizer has opened up for kiddos that are ages five through 11 years old. Mm-hmm. 
You know, the other uh, thing is uh, mandates. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of uh, dire predictions. You know, the New York City Police Department said 10,000 officers would would quit their job if they were if there was a vaccine mandate. And it turns out it was like 150 didn't get vaccinated out of, you know, they have a police force of like 50,000 people. And uh, it, it, it seems like these dire predictions of, uh, of um, the ramifications of vaccine mandates uh, is not materializing. You know, I don't, I don't know too much about that. I did read one piece of gray literature, which just means it's basically an opinion uh, that suggested that um, maybe uh, mandates in that way uh, don't lead to as many um, people leaving their workplace. But, but that's uh, uncertain from my perspective. Not quite sure about that. Okay. Um, another uh, uh, article I saw was talking about the uh, potential for uh, another surge after Thanksgiving. Last year, there was, of course, a big surge after, uh, you know, kids came home from college, the ones who went, and uh, people were gathering through the holidays, and, and there was the big surge. Uh, of course, that was before anybody was vaccinated. Uh, now we're about 50% vaccinated, as you said, maybe a little bit more. And um, But Delta is, uh, is different. Uh, uh, are we looking at another post-Thanksgiving uh, surge in cases, do you think? Yeah, Jay, that's a great question. You know, at this point with Delta and repeat infections and vaccine breakthrough, it's unclear what the level of population immunity is going to be during the holiday season. Um, and it's important to remember that before the 5 to 11-year-olds opened up for COVID vaccine, about 15% of our population, those kiddos younger than age 12, were completely unvaccinated and susceptible to the virus. Now, when thinking about, um, say, other infections like influenza, um, yeah, you know, influenza tends to have an uptick um, during uh, the holiday or winter season. And uh, that was true with our big surge in COVID uh, last year, too. So at, at this point, it's unclear, but we're going to have to take it step by step together. Okay. Um... Dorotha, I got a uh, question uh, texted to me here. Uh, what percentage of hospital staff have been vaccinated at this point? Are you folks uh, uh, under mandates yet uh, there at SPH? We are not as of today, but um, CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid, um, did announce their um, their emergency um, ruling. And it just got announced this morning, as well as OSHA. Um, uh, um, guidance announced this morning as well. So today's a pretty big day in the world of vaccine mandates. Um, the OSHA mandate um, applies to employers of 100, 100 or more um, employees. It also applies to some um, federal contractors, government contractors. And then the CMS um, mandate is for healthcare workers and a pretty long um, pr pretty broad um, list of what healthcare workers mean. So um, that just got announced this morning, um, and we, as soon as this radio announcement is over, um, we have a meeting to um, begin kind of combing through the many pages of the guidance and um, pull out the details and um, start figuring out what it means for South Peninsula Hospital. Um, we are at 70% of our employees um, are fully vaccinated and um, pr pretty 
pretty average as far as healthcare um, goes nationwide and um, pretty high as far as state of Alaska in general goes um, percentage of, of fully vaccinated. I wanted to follow up on what you and Lauren were talking about the kind of like what post if there is post Delta it's interesting that Lauren was sharing those nationwide and statewide trends but here at South Peninsula Hospital specific to testing we have just stayed in this kind of eight to ten percent zone for positivity rate for three months three months since like early August August September October yeah over three months so it's um, interesting that we're just kind of hovering right in this eight to ten percent um, positivity rate I did the math while mm -hmm. you guys were talking about what the next surge might you know uh, might it be easier or um, affect fewer people we've done here at South Peninsula Hospital we've given over 1600 doses of the vaccine um, since the Delta surge started. Now that does not mean that that's 1,600 new people vaccinated, but it does mean that either someone got their first shot, their second dose, maybe their single dose of um, Janssen, or they got a booster. So it does mean that um, possibly we've um, added more protection into the community since the Delta um, um, wave hit us. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You know, I, I just might add a little bit to try to round off, uh, you know, painting the picture of where we're at, is that almost the entire state still remains in red alert um, zone for COVID. And what, and actually more specifically, we're about uh, 5.6 times the amount of COVID it takes for us to be in a higher red alert zone. And so we still have a ways to go before we can get down to a yellow uh, or a less threatening um, level of COVID that's popping up in our communities. Um, but yeah, in terms of, of positivity, we're doing much better. However, uh, you know, as of today, there's 159 or 160 folks currently hospitalized, making up about 16% of all the folks in the hospitals. Um, so folks, uh, especially in healthcare, are still uh, struggling to provide the care that's needed um, by Alaskans. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of hospitalizations, I haven't heard uh, a lot lately about, um, you know, drama in, uh, in hospitals in Anchorage about having, having enough room. Uh, has that eased at all? Well, <clears throat> that changes from minute to minute, but at this minute, um, it looks like ANMC's ICU is open, and that's great to see that in a green zone or open for uh, additional folks to enter into that ICU care. Alaska Regional ICU is open as well as their non-ICU, and it looks like uh, most of the emergency departments um, in Anchorage and Central Peninsula are open right now, so that's great news. That's a big change from a couple of weeks ago. And in the last several weeks, when we would look at this hospital status dashboard and just see um, things closed everywhere. And that includes um, psych uh, um, departments being closed as well. But it doesn't mean that um, COVID is not still um, really a risk and causing hospitalizations. Here at South Peninsula Hospital, we had six new admits in the last week specifically for COVID. So that is, um, that's a pretty high number um, when you go back through the last weeks of and, and 
you know, during this, what I call the Delta phase. Um, so it still is um, causing serious illness in people. Okay, so the, the message I'm hearing is, uh, you know, there's good news, but uh, we're nowhere near the end of this for both of you. I... That's, that's a really good summary. And, and another kind of variable to think about would be our reproductive number. And you can find that on the dashboard. Um, and the reproductive number, as it's reported right now, is hovering just under one. I mean, and, and that's we think of that as probably underreported because it doesn't um, reflect the true population. We can't really know um, every instance or case of COVID. So anytime that that reproductive number is above one, um, then the cases continue to grow. Right, and uh, just for our listeners, that's uh, the the number one is if you're infected, you will infect one more person. If it's above one, you will affect more than one person. If it's under one the disease is fading. Did I get that right? Will stall. Yeah, it'll stall out. And I think another yeah. thing um, statewide to consider is that the state of Alaska received um, a lot of help from GSA or surge workers um, in, in terms of boosting our health care capacity. So that might be what we're seeing reflected in the hospital status uh, dashboard as well. I'm oh, really sure. thankful for that help to give our folks a little break. Boy, I bet. Uh, you know, I was talking with uh, uh, some folks who have already gotten the vax or their booster shot. I'm not eligible for till the end of the month, but uh, other folks have gotten it. And uh, uh, well, the two po people I talked to got Moderna, and they said just like the uh, original shot, it uh, it kind of wiped them out a little bit, made them want to you know nap. Um, it made me wonder, Lauren, what is the actual mechanism in our body that makes us feel blah when a vaccine starts doing its business? Oh, you know, I'm not an immunologist, and that's not really my specialty. Um, mm -hmm. But I went in and got my booster for Moderna, I think it was two days ago. I went into the SPH or the hospital's vaccination and swab site off of Bartlett. Um, and I got it about 4.30 p.m., um, so that's my third dose total, um, and I had a sore arm, uh, but the next day I was feeling a little tired and had a, a slight achy feeling, um, so I just went home on sick leave and took about an hour and a half, um, but now I'm back today. Um, so it, that's generally um, some of the most popular or common side effects we see is a sore arm and maybe not quite feeling just right, and it's important to highlight that that's great and that's much better than getting COVID spreading it or being hospitalized right right yeah you know my first shot uh, wiped me out but uh, the second one uh, I you know I just it wiped me out I wanted to nap all the time and uh, the second one uh, nothing I, I didn't even get a sore arm uh, so hmm. I'm I'm hopeful that my third shot goes just as well I, I guess uh, um, do you have any advice as far as um, mixing and matching uh did you mix and match or did you stick with uh your original uh brand you know i didn't mix or match i stayed with moderna and that's actually what uh, cdc is recommending but you can mix and match if you want um, and you can mix and match uh you can have either pfizer moderna or j and j so in regards to boosters if you're eligible and you've had your two initial Pfizer uh, boosters, uh, pardon me, the initial series, and it's been at least six months after the second one, 
you can choose any of those three for a booster option. And that's the same scenario goes for the other mRNA vaccine, Moderna. Now, if you've got that J&J &J one and done, and it's been at least two months after you completed that single dose, you can choose whichever you want. You can get a booster, J&J, &J, get the Pfizer or Moderna. Now, would, uh, would they be getting the, the uh, booster size dose of Moderna or Pfizer? Ooh, that I don't have at my fingertips, but you can call uh, either your medical home or the uh, vaccination site, and they'll have that info for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Doretha, there was a question regarding the uh, out-of-state workers that were mentioned uh, that came up to help. Uh, how many did uh, did uh, SBH wind up uh, having? And uh, an addendum to the question, were they vaccinated? I am pulling out a recent slide to give me the number because um, it, we've added a few to the team. Um, we, um, as of last week, we had seven RNs, seven registered nurses, and seven um, CNAs or patient care techs. Um, so a total of 14. I do not, we would not know if they are vaccinated or not because like I said, we don't have a mandate um, right now that requires employees or contractors to be vaccinated. So that wouldn't be something that we would ask um, upon bringing an employee in. Um, but we did receive, as I've been saying for the last several weeks, we've been waiting on um, CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to release um, their um, guidance on uh, the, it's called conditions of participation. And um, so any healthcare entity that accepts Medicare, then you have um, these conditions that you will align to. And so they just released those today in regards to um, staff a mandate for vaccine and we are meeting today to review those so that will be in addition to the exciting headline news um, for um, pediatric doses um, you will be seeing and hearing a lot about these um, the the role the announcements that were made today regarding mandatory vaccines oh, we're super happy we're super happy to have these 14 people here I, I gotta tell you it's really been um, really been great for staff to have helping hands. And, and in all cases, certainly it's hard for folks to hit the ground running um, with actual patient care because there's a lot of hurdles. There's electronic health records and where are things stored and all of those kind of things. But just having the backup there help you out and the extra set of hands is really great. Like I said, we had six new admissions in the last week for COVID. So um, really great to have this support. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, uh, I want to thank you both. It's uh, 9.35, and uh, I think we've uh, run out of all of our questions here, though one I think is being sent to me right now on a text. Uh, but, uh, Dorotha, do you want to go over one more time, uh, one last time, quickly about uh, vaccinations for kids and uh, the, 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 the pop-up clinic you're doing? You bet. I'll start, though, with I'm um, just uh, happy to remind folks that we did relax our visitation restrictions. And so now um, any patient, regardless of, you know, whether they're here for surgery or a lab visit or an inpatient stay, they are permitted to have one um, visitor with them, um, other than if you're here for, for COVID or you test positive for COVID. And in that case, it would be um, 
it, just whatever the, the staff would review those for guidance depending on what your situation is, whether you're hospitalized um, and for how long and what stage in your illness you are. But we were able to relax um, visitation. Um, so as far as um, kids boosters, so right now, um, the way to make an appointment for a, a pediatric booster for your child ages 5 to 11 is to go onto the hospital website and click the button Make Appointment for Children's. And that specifically is for this Saturday at a mass vaccination clinic at the high school. And at this moment, we are allocating all of the pediatric doses that we received, we're allocating those to that event first. That's the priority. And then whatever doses are not used at that event, those will become available next week at the um, vaccine and testing clinic on Bartlett Street. And that clinic is open daily, though we will not be doing um, the pediatric doses daily. We're trying to, and the, the website will show you when you go to make the appointment um, when, but we really want to make sure that we're trying to kind of align the kids doses in that particular space with other children just to try to make that um, as smooth as possible for not only the um, vaccines that are being given but the population that will um, that we will be serving so again this Saturday is the first opportunity then whatever doses remain after that for the kids they will be available um, next week by appointment at the clinic on Bartlett Street for adult boosters and pretty big group that's eligible for that cdc recommends adult boosters for anyone 65 years and over um, who received the pfizer or moderna over six months ago or anyone who received pfizer or moderna over six months ago who's 18 and over and lives in long-term care or 50 and over and has underlying medical conditions cdc also recommends boosters for anyone who's at least two months post a Janssen vaccine. So those are recommendations. And then um, they're available to anyone 18 and over um, who has increased risk for COVID because of their work. Um, you know, they're a taxi driver or public transportation or healthcare or whatever, as well as those um, who uh, 18 and over who have underlying medical conditions. So boosters are available daily at the site on Bartlett Street. You can go on the website, make an appointment. We only offer Janssen twice a week, um, but we offer Pfizer and Moderna seven days a week. And um, I, I don't know if I said or not, this Saturday the booster event is only Pfizer and Moderna. No Janssen will be at the Saturday event. But you can get your booster seven days a week at the at the swab site of Pfizer and Moderna. And then the right. Janssen's are um, only on Sundays and Tuesdays. Lots of All availability. Right. Excellent. Uh, we had a phone call. Let's see if she's still there. Candy, hi, you're on the air. Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call and thank you to your uh, COVID expert for holding this weekly talk in. I have a question, um, and I'm not sure if they can answer it, but or last week there was a COVID summit, and I've seen quite a bit of um, political um, postings about this COVID summit, and it seems to be a little confusing to the general public. And, you know, how do you interpret and use that information from a COVID summit and the traditional kinds of recommendations that are being made? 
because it seems to be really driven by a lot of um, folks that are in leadership positions and the political system. So how does that mesh with uh, your medical model? And I also just wanted to add about children. I've had direct experience with children that are very, very vulnerable. And when people think they can necessarily handle um, a virus on their own and that it will go away and that children have a natural immunity, they may find it very difficult and be putting a child in a very vulnerable situation. And having had direct experience with that, I am so thankful to have had a team of really sharp medical professionals that helped save that child's life. So if you have any um, information about the COVID summit or what your thoughts are about that, um, I'd appreciate it, and thank you so much for your show. Oh, well, thank you very much for calling in, Candy. I really appreciate uh, you ringing in. Uh, you know, it sounds like she's talking about the uh, the thing in Anchorage that the Anchorage mayor, the new mayor, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, put on, and he had a bunch of the folks, uh, you know, uh, it's sort of an alternative. Um, they called it early treatment, and they're talking about... Uh, you know, horse paste and all that stuff. Do you guys have any uh, opinions about that event and how, or maybe how it uh, muddies the waters, perhaps, or anything? Oh, yep, sure thing. And, and thanks, Candy, for the question. Good, it's really good to hear your voice. <clears throat> I, I guess I would say how that meshes with our medical model or approach to providing healthcare is it really needs to be backed up by the science. Um, and also this has to do with what we call health literacy or what's our ability to examine and gain access to information that's good and by good I mean it's safe and it leads to a good positive outcome uh, for an individual but also an entire family and that has to do with empowerment too uh, but more specifically when evaluating um, or trying to answer the question is this good information or not um, there are some patterns um, and what we have seen is there are some websites that are completely um, incorrect, but they're very professionally um, established online. Um, so uh, number one would be um, check to see if they have references um, and, and don't hesitate to look into those references and ask someone if you don't know. So you could call up your doctor or the public health center. And then secondly, um, check or ask yourself, does it come from a, t a trusted resource? Uh, uh, in general. And then lastly, I would say uh, talk to the folks in your network and your doctor. And one pattern that I've seen during COVID-19 is that with several of these sites popping up on the internet, it's fooled some providers into providing some um, care that's not in line with uh, evidence-based science. But how that community is getting through that is, is talking about it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Excellent advice, too. Uh, always look for the trusted resource and talk to professionals. Um, well, I, Lauren, do you have any uh, last uh, last words? We already got those from Dorotha before the phone call. Uh, uh, anything to send us off, uh, off with here? Oh, I would just say, uh, I guess that a lot of good news coming up this week. Feel really good about it and looking forward to going into the weekend. Um, just want to say thanks to KBBI. Uh, UJ, Josh, and the team again for having us back week after week. 
Oh, thank you for, for coming on. And uh, Dorotha, thank you as well for, for being such a stalwart. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And that is the uh, COVID brief for this Thursday. I'm Jay Barrett. I want to thank Dorotha Ferraro, Lauren Carroll, and uh, Peggy Irkineff for joining us. And thank you for calling in and texting us with your questions. You can always send them to me during the week at jay.kbbi.org. Uh, and uh, I'll get them in next week. Uh, it is 944. Let's send you back now to the studio. Bye-bye. <laughs>